Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, my question for you this week to start the podcast. Bang. Wow. Right off the bat. Hi, Bobby. Hello. Hey, it's hey, hey. It's wonderful to see you. Let's do it. If you are sensing a listener, at, if you're a listener at home sensing a chaotic energy to this podcast, it's because it's on a weeknight, which I can't remember the last time I really recorded midweek late after a couple long days of work. You know, Alex cracked open a beer. I'm still drinking a latte, as I do, mm-hmm. <laughs> later than I should every single day. Um, if you're sensing that energy, that's why. We're throwing it back to the early days of Tipping Pitches where we just recorded whenever and wherever we wanted and released whenever we felt like it. Um, so I'm excited for that. But my question for you is one that's rooted in the, in the postseason. And it is, what is your stance on rally towels? Very controversial item that they pass out at ballparks and it, stadiums. Are, are they controversial? I can't I You're can't supposed say... to go along with the controversial element, Alex. Embrace debate. Okay, so we're gonna pretend like I I this is a long held take that I have. And and this is definitely this is not a topic that I have not felt an urge to come down on either side of prior to twenty seconds ago, right? <laughs> I this think is something they're that not I've actually been controversial. With. No, they're not controversial. People just think they're annoying. Like the terrible towels in Pittsburgh with the Steelers when they're waving these yellow towels all the time. And I think that it can get a little bit annoying visually on a broadcast. But I'm asking you, as a fan of the sport of baseball, what is your stance on rally towels? When I am watching a baseball game and fans are waving the towels around, that's fine. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't care. Doesn't doesn't bother me. I mean it's yeah, is it a bit of a kind of visual distraction? Maybe, but is it oftentimes the the most that you see fans engaged in a game? Yeah, probably. At least they're at least they're moving. At least they're cheering. My biggest, I think, gripe with it is like it's a it's a bit of a hazard, isn't it? You catch one of those things in the eye, you know. If there's forty thousand people waving them around, someone's going to get whacked. That's definitely the hazard that everybody has been concerned about at Major League Baseball stadiums. Yes, right. That's the <laughs> item that might hit you, and you might get injured. Uh, I'm staunchly pro rally towel. Okay, and I, I'm glad to hear that you agree, since every once in a while you throw a curveball at me and you decide that you hate jerseys, <laughs> Jesus, and that no one should be allowed to wear them except the players. You have to earn that jersey. This, you know what, a year, the way that this is progressing a year from now, it's, I'm going to be the one who cut up the White Sox jerseys <laughs> in the, in their locker room, right? I think that's yes. how this story is on its way to evolve. That is why Chris Sale is your favorite baseball player of all time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Death to jerseys. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I asked you this question because I went to the Dodgers Giants game four last night in Los Angeles and they handed out rally towels and I got to say, it was exhilarating. <laughs> e- easily entertained. You walk in. And they just hand you something. That doesn't happen all of the time. Usually you walk in and you have to give them something. You have to give them a lot of things. You have to give them money. You have to show them your ticket. 
You have to give them all your items as you walk through metal detectors. But this time, I still had to do all of those other three things. But they handed right. me a towel at the end. Yeah, in return, they said, here's a rag for worth, your troubles. Worth five cents. <laughs> I, like, I don't mind rally towels. I also don't know that if I was like, I have one item to bring to a baseball game that is going to show my support. What if it's a white cloth, like a like a washcloth? You know, like who yeah. was I would I would love to be a fly on the wall of that boardroom meeting where they were like, how can we get people more engaged? Yeah, I do think we could workshop it. You know, they could hand out rally clappers, mm-hmm. rally megaphones. <laughs> Might <laughs> get run into some trouble with that one if you give 40,000 uh, somewhat drunk people megaphones. Well, rally kazoo. Okay. That would really throw off the opponent. Right. You want to talk about annoying. Yeah. I would not want to go to that baseball game. Imagine it's a tense spot, you know, bottom of the eighth, bases loaded. I don't know why I said bottom of the eighth. Usually people say bottom of the ninth in this scenario. (laughs) Well, (laughs) bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, tie game. And all of a sudden, the crowd just bust out kazoos. (laughs) Yep. That's right. Yep. That's it. That's when probability added. Um, I do enjoy the the kind of offbeat modes of engagement that fans sometimes use to uh, show their support at games. Like when the A's at like at A's games a few years ago, Vuvuzelas were very big, right? Yeah. And I know that wasn't just at the Coliseum, but that was a that was a really big thing. I, I think especially like it was like in the wake of like the World Cup, and then like baseball yeah, fans were just were just kind of like we're gonna start bringing these to games too, and they were I think fun. It was the they 20, were kind of cool. The 2010 World Cup in South Africa was where they came to prominence on the on the international stage, right? Exactly. Um, and uh, I think Major League Baseball shut that down um, after a year or two, right? After yeah, a couple no years, they're kind of like, "Wait, you guys are enjoying this? Take a seat." Well, maybe they were. Maybe they were convinced by my argument that it's too much of a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. Rob is just trying to create a level playing field, as always. Thanks, Rob. Okay, well, Tipping Pitches is a firmly pro rally towel podcast. Uh, we are going to talk about that game that I attended. We are going to talk about the fact that we're getting a rematch of the 2018 ALCS after the Red Sox eliminated the Rays and the Astros eliminated the White Sox. We are going to bid adieu to the Milwaukee Brewers. We're going to answer some voicemails. We're going to do three up, three down. This is going to be a fun one. But before we do all of that, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Baisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Okay, Alex, just as a bit of housekeeping before we start discussing the 2021 baseball playoffs, you'll notice if you're a listener that this podcast is coming to you on a late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, depending on when you're actually refreshing your podcast app. Um, That is because we had some scheduling conflicts and could not record on a normal Sunday for a Monday release. So we put out a little mini episode on last Saturday. If you missed it, go check it out. It's only 30 minutes. It's talking about the playoffs so far it's talking about broadcast booths being racist it's talking about the rays not spending any money which might be a topic that might come up in the next five minutes we'll see um but yes we are putting this podcast out midweek and then we are going to do that again next week 
just because of some more scheduling conflict, conflicts. It's October. Our lives are a little hectic. The baseball world is a little hectic. So after this pod, look out for another one a week from now, next Wednesday. Uh, that is my housekeeping. If you want to do some more housekeeping, Alex, you want to tell people to buy some shirts. You want to tell people to go leave a five-star rating, throw them off, do all the stuff that we usually do at the end, right here at the beginning. Yeah, well, I have to clean my desk off, desk off too. Um, I, I, I just went and checked my room a little yeah, bit. I went and checked my laundry before we started recording. Yeah. I mean, you can get a t-shirt. That is a thing you can do. We yeah. do have a store yes. at tiny.cc slash nationalize. That's what a natural plug. What a natural We do have plug. a profile on Apple Podcasts you where probably, you can you probably leave a five-star review. <laughs> you pulled one of those shirts out of the laundry, didn't you? I actually did. Yes, I yeah. actually did. Um, I was really bummed that it was too cold for me to display my Tipping Pitches t-shirt yesterday because I had to wear a sweatshirt over it, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. I was wearing it. I knew. That's, that's the way that they tell you to promote your merch. Wear it underneath a bunch of other stuff. Right. As long as you know. Where do you want to start, Alex? It's October 13th. We're almost halfway through the MLB playoffs. Uh, the most exciting stuff is yet to come. Where would you like to start? Somewhere, preferably, that's not about rally towels. Fuck. Okay, hang on. I need to do some reorganizing <laughs> my notes real quick. I think I would like to start with the fact that I don't really know who to root for anymore. Okay. The faves are gone. What are we? It feels like we've got a lot of behemoth franchises in this in the in these playoffs, you know, which is is fun to an extent. It's and I, you know, far be it from me to truly dislike teams who actually spend to put a winning product on the field. You know, I don't know. We can't exactly rail on teams who don't spend and get eliminated, and then say, "But I don't really like watching the 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 big spenders either." People will start to wonder our integrity. That said, I welcome no un- people questioning our integrity. I, that that I do. Yeah. No underdogs. No underdogs these playoffs. Well, it's funny because like the underdog teams, meaning the teams that people would have picked to be least likely to actually win or come out of their respective leagues are probably the Braves who have the largest national fan base of teams not named the Yankees or Dodgers. Mhm mainly because of their TV contract in the 90s. It's always about it always comes back to TV deals. It always comes yeah. back to cable. Um and then the Red Sox who have won four World Series since the turn of the millennium and who have won as recently as 2018 and who are obviously in a huge market and thought of to be like a, nas- a like a historical behemoth and also traded Mookie bets and I don't want to see them get rewarded for that. <laughs> so you're right. We are in a little bit of a tight spot, but when you say that your faves are gone, are you just who are you referring to? Were you who were you rooting for? The White Sox? I think you know I was pulling for the White Sox too. They were kind of I think the last hope in my book, you know. Yeah. With them out, I'm like, well, I can just watch this and I, you know, I I put on my uh this is where I put on my objective neutral observer cap, you know, become a, a capital J journalist, capital P podcaster. Just sit back and en- enjoy it. You know, let the games wash over you. Right. Zero, zero rooting interest whatsoever. You root for the baseball. Yeah, I root for a, for a good game day in and day in and day out, you know. 
Well, I, Alex, I root for the content, which is why I chose Dodgers-Astros rematch as my prediction for the 2021 World Series. I guess that is still alive, still in play, should the Dodgers win Game 5 tomorrow. Um, well, since, since your fave, the, the White Sox are gone, let's use that as an opportunity to just talk about the Astros really quickly, because I feel like that series... Not even the White Sox. <laughs> since the White Sox are gone. <laughs> no, since the, since the White Sox are gone, let's use it as, a talk, as an opportunity to talk about the Astros advancing, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. And that series in general, because I feel like that's the easiest one to talk about. We don't always get tidy narratives in the playoffs, but I feel I feel justified in saying that this narrative is as tidy as it gets, that the Astros were just the better team mm-hmm. in every facet. They, they came out, they, they pitched relatively well for a team that's, that pitching is no longer their strong suit in the way that it was the last time we saw the Astros make deep runs with you know, Verlander and Garrett Cole and Granky, a little bit younger version of Zach Granky. Um, and then, of course, the lineup came out and just absolutely mashed. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit later in my three up, three down about some of the controversy about, uh, around that production at home versus on the road. But without getting too far ahead of ourselves, I do think that whether it be because neutral fans or neutral media or whatever, or national media were not watching as much Astros because they play a little later frequently on the West Coast or because they've been around for so long or because, like I said, they don't have the top-tier starting pitching that makes headlines. I do think that they came into October very underrated somehow. Very <laughs> underrated. A team with, you know, Correa, Altuve, and Bregman, the same, the same, a similar core to the one that won them the World Series in 2017 and got them back in 2019. Um, They just looked to be in a different class than the White Sox, a team that was really good all season and has an incredible amount of talent and who a lot of people had talked themselves into being a a legitimate World Series contender and they did not look like one against Houston. No, although they were... Still put out. They still put out a pretty respectable performance that was largely uh, the uh, you know Mister Professional Manager over here. Um, you know the one that they brought in because he's like a he's like a real players manager. Like right. they you bring him in not because he's uh, not because he's a, a, a spark plug or because everyone loves him, but because when it when it comes down to brass tacks, when the game's on the line, he you know he's been there before. Right. He's been in the playoffs. He knows how to make the moves, like like leaving in your starters for too long, right? Like that's, I mean, tried and tested. This works. We've seen it work um, uh, many times in the past. That's why just this past week we talked about how we're seeing managers leave starting pitchers in for far too long, <laughs> over and over again. I actually, I kind of appreciate Tony La Russa, you know? Yeah, he's like, fuck it. I'm dancing with who brought me here. I'm just leaving him in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to isolate that audio of you saying that you appreciate Tony La Russa. I'm just going to drop that into our outro. Mm -hmm. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. I appreciate Tony La Russa. (laughs) I've made my bed. (laughs) No, I I don't think that the, the White Sox looked bad. They didn't look like a bad team, but they did not look like a World Series team when lined up against a team that we know is World Series caliber because they've won one and made another one or at least a lineup that we know is they just looked a little bit overmatched and that's not to say that their core is not one that could still lead them to a World Series 
I do think that they need to make significant improvements to their rotation depth because Dallas Keuchel fell off a cliff and they didn't really have another plan for that, especially when you factor in that Carlos Rodon was coming off of a shoulder injury, which he seems to have a lot of, you know, either nagging or serious injuries that keep him out for an entire season. He missed most of last year. Um, He's a phenomenal pitcher, but from a team construction level, those are really big question marks to have going into a series against a team that up and down the lineup, one through nine, just mashes. Especially going into next year, you have those question marks around Keuchel. Rodon is going to be a free agent. Like there's, there are certainly some holes to plug if they actually want to, which like the, the rest of the AL Central would be happy to, you know, part the sea for them to let them waltz to the playoffs. Right. And I think they shouldn't, well, they did rest on their laurels. Right. Exactly. They did. And I yeah. think that will continue to be the case. There's not as, it doesn't look like there's a strong, uh, overpowering contender, I'll say. Right. The Twins can hang. The Guardians can hang if they really want to. Which is, I guess, That's another, a larger another question. question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that it's nice to get a taste of Luis Robert in the playoffs. Um, I know that we got that last year, but he, I, if I remember correctly, he was just coming back from an injury and he wasn't quite fully formed MVP contender Luis Robert that he, I think, justifiably is now. Um, I, I'll be interested to see what he can put together over the course of hopefully a 162 game season next year. Um, wishing him more health than he was able to have this year and that whole team more health than they were able to have this year. They missed significant amounts of time from basically all of their best players in their lineup. And so it never really gelled for them. Um, They looked like they were not in the correct gear. Can I use any more cliches that announcers or um, media people love to say? They they couldn't. Yeah, I mean, they weren't I, clicking the Astros on all were playing chess, and the White Sox were playing checkers. That's right. Know? That's right. Okay. Anything else to say about your beloved White Sox? It's unfortunate they were clearly the the best looking team in the American League. We no longer longer get to look at them. <laughs> we no longer <laughs> get to appreciate the fact that they're all wearing three different un three different buttons undone. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be missing that for the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, certainly there's a um there's a swagger vacuum that has that has been created with their exit. Yes. And and despite what I said about the Astros yesterday displaying some on-field gameplay swagger, they don't have the like they don't have the same kind of swagger that the White Sox have. They have swagger right. because they're getting hits. They're confident because <laughs> they're really good at baseball. Yeah, yeah. they don't have like, like general world swagger. They don't have no. just like swagger in their daily lives. In fact, I think that they are all intensely swaggerless. Yes, <laughs> the Astros players. Well, and I think their swagger has been. We should see how much, how many times we can say this this word. Yeah. Um, Take a sip every time. Like was slowly kind of, I think left the left the building. As the the cheating scandal unfolded, and they acted like they were the ones with a chip on your shoulders, and yeah. it's like, guys, you're still one of the top five teams in Major League Baseball. It's fine, and I know that I know we're going to talk more about probably some uh, certain accusations later on, so we don't have to get too far into it. But like, yeah. it's okay. It's, you guys can take take the heat. It's fine. Um, let's go to the other series in the AL that wrapped up as well. Red Sox eliminated the Rays in four games. 
of course, people know our feelings about the Rays and we've made them known. Um, we alluded a little bit to our feelings about the Red Sox and how they're not quite as um, exciting to cheer for as if a different underdog team had eliminated the Rays, but that's okay. Uh, we're hoping to have a special guest next week to explain to us why actually rooting for the Red Sox is good and fun. Um, I, I won't tease that out too much because we're still we're still waiting to do that interview. But we should talk about the Rays. And we should talk about the discourse surrounding the Rays' early exit. Uh, which I, and I mean you to a lesser extent, but especially me, am a, a big part of because I took immediately to Twitter to share my... To make my opinion known about how funny it is that the Rays were bounced early and failed to failed to cash in on all of their success and, and regular season success and you know, I think goodwill among a certain media type who is shocked at how well they do with quote unquote limited resources every year. I just thought it was funny that they got bounced in the first round, Alex, but Instead of rehashing the entire conversation that we had even before they got eliminated, even before they were down in the series on Saturday morning, I just want to start this conversation from a place that we can mutually agree is sane. Are you okay with that? I'm, of course. We're, we're trying to win the World Series, right? Just statement. Teams well, are trying who's, who's we? to win the World Series. That's the goal, right? I mean... At face value. <laughs> Sure. In theory, yes, that is the point of baseball. Not like, not like the front, not like the owner is right. trying to win the World Series. The team, right. but these the, are what the, this the is players, what the players are going for. The coaches, yeah. the baseball development, the GM thinks that that is the goal, right? Or, or at least agrees that that is a goal that they would like to achieve every year that they are putting a good team on the field and not rebuilding, right? That, that we can start from that point of conversation, right? Yeah. And winning in the regular season doesn't absolve you of not achieving that goal. Feels like you're uh, these are some leading, leading the witness here. <laughs> because as soon as the Rays were bounced, we had a lot of people being like, man, people are going to use this in a bad faith way to say that the Rays aren't good. Or people are going to use this in a bad faith way to say that analytics don't work in the postseason. Or people are going to use this in a bad faith way to act like the playoffs are actually predictive in a way that they're not because they're such a small sample size. I agree with all of those people whose knee-jerk reaction to, was to be like, this is going to be terrible. People are going to dunk all over the Rays and analytics and everything. That isn't my criticism of the Rays. Of course they're good. They did win 100 games. They have won the most games of any team in the American League for the last three years. But we have to also, at the same time, hold the idea in our head that the playoffs are a measure of something and it's a measure of something that the teams think is valid because they call it a failure when they get eliminated or when they don't win and so i'm not indicting the fact that the rays are not a good team that that what they've done in terms of turning players into what they've turned them into is not impressive i acknowledge all of that but the fact that they have been able to do that is the reason I'm so frustrated when they show up to the playoffs and they get bounced because they were cheap 365 days in advance or 180 days in advance at the trade deadline. 
That is my specific criticism of the race. They are intentionally holding themselves back so that they can convince the world that they don't have enough money to spend on players so that the world then accepts that and is okay with it when they never spend money on players in the future. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy with them. Right. You're already setting the, the boundaries in which you can play, right? And that is to say that, well, we only have X amount of money. We can't even fathom a world in which we have more than that because we're just telling you we don't. Exactly. And I think two things are true at the same time. I think that if they played the Red Sox in a seven-game series, they probably still would have found a way to win. Or if they played the Red Sox 15 times or however many times you think is a predictive sample, I think they were a better team than the Red Sox. But I think that they also lost in this specific series to the Red Sox because they did not show up with the best team that they could have put together because of money. It wasn't because of injury, even though Tyler, not having Tyler Glass now hurt, that's part of baseball. Teams lose pitchers all of the time. They lost game four and got eliminated on the road against their division rival, the Red Sox, because they threw Shane McClanahan in relief on short rest. Two things he has never done in his professional career. He's a rookie who got called up earlier this season. And he gave up five runs. And they lost the game because of those five runs. Now you can say, if they had re-signed Charlie Morton, he might have blown up in game four too. You can say if they hadn't salary dumped Rich Hill, he might have blown up in game four too. All of that stuff is hypothetical. I'm just talking about what's real and what actually happened. The Rays cheaped out and they lost because of it. They didn't have a starting rotation that they were confident enough to throw and trust against a very good Red Sox offense, and it came back to bite them in the ass. Everything else about analytics don't work in the in the postseason. None of that. That's all bullshit. That's that's all bad faith arguing. Yeah, uninterested in litigating that. Yes, completely uninterested in litigating that. But not calling out that narrative is how we create unimpeachable figures like Billy Bean. Because this happened to you. This happened to the A's. We now have a guy who we're not allowed to criticize in Billy Bean or who you are considered to be like fringe radical if you think Billy Bean is actually bad just because people were like amazed by the, what they did as a front office with a little amount of money with limited resources. And I just don't think we need to compliment the Rays when they get eliminated. We don't, we, we are allowed to think it's funny. We are allowed to make fun of the fact that they lost because they are so dead set on winning in only this way. And if we're not allowed to say that, then we're just going to get more and more teams putting the front office on a pedestal in the way that the A's have, and the A's still have nothing to show for it. And, and we've talked a ton on the show about that, about how, yes, you might be able to cobble together something over the course of a 162-game season, but by limiting yourself, you are not giving yourself a good enough, if any chance, to actually win a World Series, which, as we, I stated in my leading question at the beginning of this rant, is still the goal. Is still the goal that good teams judge themselves by. Because October, for all you can say about the playoffs being a crapshoot, it still is reality. Like, they still do play the games. Yes, it's a crapshoot, and maybe the best team doesn't win every year, but if you really are the best team and the best version of yourselves, you should eventually come out with a World Series. Eventually over a long enough sample size. And until the Rays do that, I just don't believe that this method of doing it, showing up to October every year with a worse version, 
of yourself can win you a World Series? Mic drop. I largely agree with everything you're saying, although I don't know that the measure is even whether or not you win a World Series, right? Because if the Rays do this and win a World Series by doing it, right? If the Rays win last year, the Rays win this year, that does not run counter to the point I think that either of us is trying to make, which is that they are exploiting an economic system that disadvantages players and advantages front offices, owners who who know how to bend the system to their benefit, right? And I think there is a, there's kind of a disconnect in this conversation. Um, and a lot of times it's framed as like, you know, you have pro-raise people who are saying, well, what they're doing is, what they're doing works. And so therefore it's good versus, uh, you know, the anti-raise people who are ostensibly saying, well, what they're doing works, but it's not good enough or it's just bad. Or I just like, I don't like the way that it, that it plays out or, and I think that that's the wrong framing of the, of this side of the argument, which is starts not from whether or not what the rays do succeeds, but starts from what the rays are doing is, is bad. What they are doing is operating in bad faith, even though it works sometimes even though they have a really good scouting department and player development department, right? Even though they're really good at identifying these undervalued players, that doesn't absolve them of the fact that they're still owned by a billionaire who can afford to actually add to this on-field product, right? So it's, and I think that a lot of, you know, kind of, professional baseball media people kind of like to forget that the second part, the the economics part of it and say, well, if it works, what's, what's wrong, right? What they're doing is, is winning them games and it's getting them into the playoffs and the playoffs are a crapshoot. One day they'll win a world series. Yes, that's true. I agree with that. What the Rays do by and large, like, you know, they, they won the division this year. They won the most games in their franchise history, right? My my gripe is is not with the idea that like the Rays are good or the Rays are are not good, but rather that by accepting the the world that they are creating, you are giving cover to more teams to do this down the road. You are you are you are setting yourself up for for failure and that's so important especially <laughs> with a CBA expiring, right? And this sort of thing as the, um, you know, one of the big topics of conversation, right, is how to get teams to spend by valorizing teams that don't, you are, I don't know, inherently taking a side and it's not pro player. Yes, I, I agree. But take pro player versus pro owner out of this because that is its own fraught argument as to whether media people think that they should be pro player even though we sit here as two media people who are obviously pro player and who have made that stance known over and over again um 
take the larger CBA fight out of it and let's talk about just the social contract of baseball fandom. Like what it even means that these teams are the only 30 professional professional baseball teams that most people have a meaningful relationship to. Like what the Rays do does not happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen on a spreadsheet. It happens on a field. And this is not an anti-analytics take. This is an anti-bottom line budget take. There are Rays fans who do not get to see their team win the World Series because the Rays are not bringing their best team to October. Just admittedly, they are admittedly not bringing the best version of themselves because if you got every front office person who works for the Rays, they'd be like, yes, we would be better if we could spend more money. There is not a single person who works for the Rays who doesn't think that because they are all very, very smart people and they know that they could acquire more good players if they had more money to work with. Nobody, if you think that the Rays spending less makes them good, you just don't understand baseball. Fans like that the Rays won 100 games this season. They like that the team was really good, but they still experience the pain of getting eliminated every year all the same. And the way that we interpret baseball, it's ahistorical to say that the Rays are the best team just because they've won the most regular season games. Nobody thinks that. You, you, you can win the most regular season games, and if you don't actually come out on top in the World Series at some point, then you weren't the best team. And I think that Rays fans are being deprived of getting to actually watch and root for the best team. And I think that that is bad for baseball. Because if not, then we're just doing it for, we're just doing it for executives. Like MLB. I got some bad news for you. Yes. MLB, the Rays exist only for executives. They don't exist for fans. They exist for executives in their current state. And until they do something that is Pro fan, then that take like continues a stadium to be true. That's actually somewhat uh, easy to get to. Yes, that'd be nice. Like not threatening to leave the city for half the year. Like not trading away every arbitration eligible player before they hit free agency. Like uh, anything, anything. But every move that they make is just for the executives. And when you come out and you defend the Rays and you say, nope, this is actually okay because the playoffs mean nothing, it's fine that they got eliminated because it's all a crapshoot. That's just bullshit. I'm sorry. That's just more ways of defending the executives who put together a good team but know that they didn't put together the best team. All in service of saving Stu Sternberg money. That's the craziest part of this to me. Is It's not your money. It's Stu Sternberg's money. Like, right. we all have to be reasonable enough to say that the Rays could put together a better team, if not for Stu Sternberg, not wanting to spend a little bit more. Right. Well, but that's also why I brought up the pro owner, pro player, because, like, I think you can't separate them, right? Like, these, the economics of the game are intrinsically tied to the way that these teams operate and the product they ultimately put on the field. And so, if you choose to ignore all that, if you choose to say I'm only looking at wins and losses, you're making you're you're taking a stance there. You are, right? You are deciding what matters as a fan, what you want to see, what what doesn't matter to you. And if a team spending more money to try and put a better team on the field, whether or not it succeeds, but like teams trying, if that's not something that really interests you 
what, what are you what are you still doing here yes what why are we here yeah that is what that is what actually really makes my blood boil every time there is raised discourse and every time i set it off or contribute to it is that i always come back to why are we here why are we here why are you defending the rays being the best team is it because you really think that they were the best team well they lost when they were trying their hardest and when all of the other teams were trying their hardest to beat them they lost again and again and again and again to teams that spent more and used more of their resources to put into the on-field product. And I realize that maybe there is some logical fallacy there, but that is what I think, and it was proven <laughs> right again. So <laughs> we can keep saying in this hypothetical world where eventually the Rays win it with a $50 million payroll, but it hasn't happened yet. They've basically squeezed all of the juice out of this orange, and they still lost in the first round to their division rival in four games, let alone. Which, can I say, is unfortunate because I really like a lot of those players. <laughs> As a baseball team, would have liked to have seen them do something more. But And I'm fine with you saying that. I don't, I don't root against the players, is the thing. Like, right. I, right, I, right. I think it's actually... We root against the discourse. It's depriving the fans. It's depriving the Rays fans and depriving the general fans of baseball of what could be maybe some of the best teams ever assembled. Like, if you get this much production out of the guys who are in the bottom half of your lineup, in the bottom half of your roster, imagine what could happen if you also added in superstars to that. You'd have the Dodgers, who actually won the the actual World Series last year and have made the actual World Series three times this decade. Against all odds, we did 15 minutes on the Rays, a team who's not in the playoffs anymore. Sorry, I realize I'm just like... No, it's you got the, the blood gets flowing. You know, we said this was going to be a chaotic episode up front. We were both hyped up. You had these raised takes stewing for a few days. You were going <laughs> at it on Twitter with Joe Sheehan and shit. Like, I feel it. You had to, this is the outlet. I just needed to get it out of my system. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, now we can enjoy the rest of October without the race and without the discourse surrounding them. I'm sure that will definitely be accomplished, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Well, and another thing, please, please don't post that I got mad. <laughs> um, well, since we spent so much time talking about the Rays, unfortunately, the Red Sox are going to get short shrifted um, because we need to talk about the fact that there is a game five between the Dodgers and Giants tomorrow. Um, this series is an absolute treat. It's unfortunate that it's coming in the first round and that we don't get to get seven games of it because I'm certain that it would go to seven games because these teams are so evenly matched. Um, but so far... It has delivered um, as the marquee matchup among the team, the teams with the best two best records in baseball. I think the thing that has struck me about this series so far is that most people, myself included, just consider the Dodgers to be the best and most talented team. They won the World Series last year. They had an incredible season this year. But at every turn of this series and really at every turn of the whole season as well, the Giants are the perfect foil for them. You know, you have all this overwhelming overwhelming talent on the Dodgers side, and then you have this kind of underwhelming equal talent on the Giants side. These guys who are not huge names, who have not had as long of a track record of putting up incredible MVP-type seasons, just foiling them at every turn. And it's kind of played out that way in this series. Um, you know, you get 
a marquee matchup in game one of Walker Bueller versus Logan Webb and Logan Webb just completely dominates the Dodgers lineup. Um, how has it been for you? Have you been locked into these games? I have been somewhat locked in, although because these are the games, these are the West Coast games, that means they are the games that are starting the latest, which means they're the, the games that usually run past my bedtime. So, you know, I can go get up in the morning to work a to work a nine to five job, yeah. pays the bills. But there is such a palpable energy between these teams that it feels like they have been here before, right? They never have, but it feels like they have. It it almost feels like the Giants somehow sapped all the energy from the Padres in the second half of the season and just took it and ran with it because I, you know, remember like in June, in May, we were watching Dodgers Padres games and saying, holy shit, it already feels like the postseason, right? Yeah. Dodger stadium is rocking. Petco is, is rocking. The fans are into it. Look at these two powerhouses going at it. And the giants just kind of picked up the baton right where the Padres dropped it. And I, you know, we're all the, all the better for it because I think that it's fun seeing a team that is, um, that compliments it's, uh, it's developmental finds and the fringe players who turn out to be good with, uh, with actual stars, you know, Chris Bryant. Heard of yeah. Him? He's been huge. Yeah. Even if you stretch it all the way back to Evan Longoria, I was just about to say the, Evan Longoria, been on the team who forever. I feel like I I am reminded of on like a weekly basis. I'm like, oh, that's right. You know, the information enters my brain and then it kind of immediately leaves again. Yeah. I mean, I was in, I was, like I said, I was at game four. It was a sellout at Dodger Stadium. Everybody was really rowdy. I would describe the crowd as nervous but confident. Um, I think like me, most of the Dodgers fans assumed that these teams are evenly matched enough that it would have to go five games. And that was the case. Walker Buehler was incredible on short rest, um, even though he got pulled in the fifth inning because uh, his pitch count was a little bit up. But yeah, I mean, I wish we could just watch this for the rest of the playoffs. But whichever one of these two teams is going to advance to play the Braves, who most people thought was the worst team in the playoff field. And that would be a reasonable thought because they had the, the worst record in, in the worst division and not a terribly impressive run differential to show for it. And I, that just goes to show that the Brewers came in a little bit. They came in a little bit light on the offensive end. Um, you know, we don't need to spend a ton of time with the rest of these series because we're already going long. I, I take the blame for that because of my incredibly long, drawn out, repetitive, probably raise rant. But do you find yourself caring who wins this Giants Dodgers game as a relatively neutral observer? Are you rooting against the Giants just because of the A's connection? I have to choose my words very carefully because I have people close to me on both sides of the aisle. <laughs> you're like a you're like in a you're like in a presidential primary right now. Like you don't want to offend the radicals and you don't want to offend the moderates. Right, exactly. <laughs> I need to keep the base. You yes. know, the base largely being my uh my my mother the who the person who brought you who, into this who world. housed me and raised me. Yes. Yeah. Who is a big Dodgers fan, we should say, for listeners who's a, who are not a, your mom. Yeah, who's a, right, exactly. Yes. I guess I'm probably pulling for the Dodgers, I guess, barely, and because I love 
a lot of individual players on the team. I love Mookie, obviously. What a star. Cody, if, when he learns to hit again, fuck, dude. It's going to be fun. He does look a little bit more competent. They still, mm-hmm. a bunch of broadcasters have brought this up that they still kind of pitch him like he's capable of taking them deep at any point, even though he has not proven that to be the case this year. But it only takes one with him. His swing is very timing oriented because it's the biggest swing I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, you, you know, tough season for him, but, you know, reset to every October. He can make an impact here. Exactly. If he hits two home runs in game five, that would be incredible. What a story! It would, <laughs> yeah. All in all, I'm. It's this. It's a series that has lived up to the the name of the rivalry and the hype that has kind of come along with it. And whoever comes out, I feel like we will have gotten our our money's worth. Can I tell you the story of the guy who was sitting in front of me, yelling for three innings about how MLB should have a salary cap? This was he came to game four between the two best teams in baseball, both of whom spend a lot. And it was Mm -hmm. a very entertaining game. And he was a Dodgers fan, so it's not like he was he was even a sour Giants fan. He was a Dodger, ostensibly rooting for the Dodgers. Although he kept yelling about how he was from Boston and he also wants the Red Sox to make it to the World Series. So a lot of click conflicting identities. Yes. I mean, you know, his big thing was we contain multitudes. Salary cap. Spend less money. Let fewer good players. You, you two good teams. <laughs> um, just very confusing why a person would want to spend most of their most of their time at a playoff game talking about the salary cap. You know, There's, you would think you, that I would be the type of person to lean over and be like, actually, this is why this, having a salary cap is bad. But not even I want to do that at a playoff game. <laughs> no, that's not why. You, that's not why you go there. No. He found the real underdog to root for, so I guess I applaud him for that. Yeah, the owner of the <laughs> <Exactly>. Dodgers. <laughs> um, okay, are you ready to do a couple of voicemails and then three or three down? Yeah, shouts, shouts to the Braves, shouts, shouts to the Red Sox. We'll, we'll hit you on the way back around. They got a whole other week to play at least. <laughs> hey guys, um, this is Becca. I just have a message. For the man in the bar who told me he was rooting against the Dodgers because he didn't like that a team could spend money and get all the good players, um, to you I say, that's the point. So maybe relax and have some fun and don't root for the Cardinals because that's not good. Okay, bye. So this was obviously from a little over a week ago when it was Dodgers versus Cardinals in the wild card, Alex, but I did plan it to be this way. <laughs> Another listener sharing that spending money is actually good right after talking about the man in front of me who was wearing a t-shirt that said there should be a salary cap, basically. Short, sweet, to the point. That's, I love this, Becca. To that I say, that's the point. Maybe have some fun with it. That is the point. Okay. And don't root for the Cardinals. Getting those those three sentences tattooed on my forehead. Pro player, unless the player is on the Cardinals. Um, next voicemail. Hey, Alex. Hey, Bobby. Hope you guys are doing well. So when you guys were talking about what Jim Cat said and what Buck Showalter said about Yohan Moncada, and then you mentioned Tom Brenneman, it got me thinking, do you guys think that it would have been handled the same way if it were a regular season game? So, for instance, 
Tom Brennerman got pulled in the middle of that game after he said that homophobic slur, but Jim Cat only had to issue an apology, a very half-assed apology. Uh, do you think it would have been the same if he like? Do you think it would have been pulled if it were a regular season game, or do you think it would have been the same just him having to apologize and then carrying on? I personally think that they didn't want to do something that would provoke the old white male viewers, since we know that's still a very prominent demographic in baseball, uh, since it was a playoff game. It's on a much larger scale. But I don't know. I wanted to see what you guys thought. Cause, like, I don't think he should have got to stay in the booth, but I'd really like to hear your guys' thoughts on this. So, yeah. Thanks, guys. It's hard to say definitively whether he would have continued calling the game if it was a regular season game. I think for me, at least, the dichotomy here is that Tom Brenneman was scheduled to call the next however many games for the Reds. He was just their announcer, and he was just like their play-by-play guy, so it was clearly going to be untenable in that he was caught on a hot mic saying something horrible, and fans were not just going to accept that he would continue, so why even let him continue on for the rest of this game? He's going to go on you know, leave and then also ultimately be fired for Jim Cat or Jim Cott. I don't know how to actually pronounce it. Um, I think that he was only scheduled to call this one game. So the MLB network, people were just like, let's ride it out, I guess. I mean, I also think that there's something, there's something different in that what he did was alluding to something heinous and racist. And he didn't actually say a slur the way that Tom on air, the way that Tom Brenneman did. So I think that, if you're an executive, I also agree that they should have just pulled him off air. Like, if you're going to say that on air, what else might you say before the end of this game? But I think that they're an executive to talk could talk themselves into the fact that not everyone at home listening heard it or paid attention or caught what he said. Right. It feels like there's more plausible deniability there, even though we all know kind of where that where that reference came from. Where what was triggered in his mind, right. you know? Yeah. But the fact that he almost maybe this is this is a a weird thought, but I almost feel like because he said it on air in the middle of a conversation in which nobody was really in the clear, that almost lent him a little bit more cover, right? Brenneman, as you said, caught on a hot mic, saying a, a you know slur straight up very easy to like draw the line there and be like yeah we don't we don't you know we don't say that we don't tolerate that and with what cot said you can say well you know he was 40 acres 35 45 acres i just want all the yom you know like and there were plenty of people on online saying well what's i don't see what the big deal is he'd he wasn't saying anything wrong, right? He wasn't insulting Moncada. He he was just, you know, just happened to pull a very specific reference out of his ass. Yeah. I mean, you can find people online defending Brenneman too, though. So <laughs> and like I yes, yeah. You could find many people online at media outlets that shall remain unnamed defending Tom Brenneman until they're blue in the face. Um yeah, I think that that's the only difference, really. And that and, and what I said, and that he's not going to have to call the rest of this series or the rest of the postseason or anything like that, so they don't have to worry about what comes next. They just kind of let it ride out for the rest of this game. Um, I, I think it just has more to do with the individuals making that decision, really, than anything else. Um, either way, 
I still can't believe that that happened. It feels like a million years ago, but I cannot believe that that happened. Um, we have one more, uh, one more message from a listener. This one is an email, not a voicemail, so I'll read it out for you, Alex. Uh, this comes from Seamus. I wanted to send in this as a voicemail, but 24 hours after my first ever playoff game and 18 seasons following the Red Sox, my voice remains totally shot, which actually illustrates my thoughts pretty nicely. Playoff baseball kicks ass like nothing else. Fenway Park is genuinely magic. I so badly hope the Sox decide to keep this core around for a while. If Kike Hernandez does not get a long-term contract with Boston, I'm going to have serious words for the front office. Cheers, guys. Keep up the incredible work. Let's go. That's what it's all about. That's right. Losing your voice for your squad. Don't don't really remember what that feels like. <laughs> it's been a it's been a minute. Yes. Um this is, gives us a good opportunity to talk about Kike Hernandez, who is absolutely on fire and is also just one of the most delightful and exciting people to root for, especially come October, because he is having as much fun out there as anybody. And he's not like He's not the name that jumps off the page on any team that he's on, but time and time again, he finds himself in the lineup because of his defensive versatility, because of his bat to ball, because he has had a long track record of performing in these big moments. He was great on the Dodgers in all of those postseasons. I I just love that for a guy who I think is funny and lighthearted and has a great spirit on the field and embodies like a lot of those things that we talk about wanting more of. Yeah, it's still weird to me seeing him in a Red Sox uniform. So weird. Like, I still, he's still a Dodger. He's still on the Dodgers. I know. I just expect him to like Superman pull off his Red Sox jersey <laughs> right, exactly. and have a Dodgers jersey <laughs> on. It's really weird. I think too because he was on the 2018 team that played against the Red Sox. Right. Mm-hmm. It's even weirder. Yeah, we're through the looking glass right now. Um, okay, let's take a quick break and then when we come back, three up, three down. All right, Alex, let's go. Three up, three down. Um, let's start with up this week. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you want to go first? Uh, sure. Yeah, I will take it away. Let's talk about broadcasters since we're on the topic. And this is an up? Are you sure? This, you're not actually, this is an, you're not this accidentally is an, reading from the wrong side of the list? <laughs> um, yes. I'm referring to the Fox Sports 1 broadcast booth, baby. Let's three go. legends. Three legends. Three? Yes. Three? Yes. Yes. Wow. This is my take. Fox Sports uh, broadcast booth, who have been, who they were, they were calling the uh, Astros White Sox series. And it was composed of Adam Amin, who was the, uh, the play-by-play and complimented by one Adam Wainwright and who I think was referred to as Wayno the whole more time. than he was his actual name. Like I don't Legally actually know that I obliged heard to call him Wayno. Yeah. Uh, and AJ Przinsky. Oh my god. AJ Przinsky. This is an who, such a curveball. He is such a blowhard. Mm-hmm. And talks way too much. <laughs> and also, I'm trying to imagine AJ Przinsky listening to us call him a blowhard who talks too much and being like, who the fuck are these guys? They <laughs> yeah, exactly. spend 90 minutes every week with no basis, just sharing their baseball right, just opinion. Circle, circle jerking like strikes and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
Let's change the, in- the bio to that. <laughs> Tipping pitches, circle jerking, strikes and stuff. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, what I appreciated about Pierzynski and Wainwright and Ami, like that whole booth is that they had really good chemistry with each other and very clearly enjoyed the baseball that was being played on the field. Yeah. Wainwright is a hoot, right? And He's I good. just, I will, I will have him, uh, you know, commentate my, you know, doing the laundry, right? Us doing housekeeping. That's all. I'll let him do it. Look at this but Cardinals like, fandom sneaking through again. This I, guy. I know, right? Are you secretly like born even, in St. Louis? Is this whole I'm Bay Area wondering thing what's, a whole, what's happening is to Is it myself. a ruse? Like, did you just pull one over on me when we met in college? Or, But I think like having a, a, a pitcher and a catcher. Yes. Good especially, call. Especially ones who have like played in the last decade was really valuable because they were able to like speak the same language with each other and, and like tease out the, the, you know, the topics and the ideas that the other one was, was pulling out. Wainwright was as much comedic relief as he was actual analysis, which, which I completely appreciate. Right. And Pierzynski was as much just, just saying words as he was actual analysis. Yeah. It's a, it, it is a delicate balance when you have a, a, a funny, outgoing, affable personality like Wainwright, and you have like a red ass in the booth also, like mm-hmm. Krasinski, famous yeah. red ass, like when he was playing, was known as the red ass on the team. Yeah. And I think that this is a not to be a Mets homer again, but this is kind of a dynamic that you see in the Mets booth where like Keith is the old timey guy who they have to rein in sometimes because he has bad opinions, but they are self aware about that. And when you have play-by-play and another color guy in there who can be self-aware about the third guy in the booth maybe having an opinion that not everybody can fully get behind, I think mm-hmm. I think that that makes for entertaining viewership. And Amin is great. I, I, yes. I like him a lot. I think that he's my type of play-by-play guy in that he is bringing his energy level up to the game when it needs to be and he's having a good time. I'm not, I'm not for the like straight-laced old, old-timey play-by-play guy it's not my not my flavor right well and i think a lot of times you the play-by-play guy and the color guy are having two separate conversations right they're not necessarily talking to each other one guy is calling the game and the other guy is just doing kind of like stream of consciousness (laughs) you know like word association (laughs) right and and what was great about amin is that he really did kind of tie everything together right and was very clearly having a good time with the guys sitting next to him and while watching the game going on on the field the secret ingredient is that you have just have to force your color guy to eat a different thing every inning and then you'll have a good booth right exactly yes (laughs) i (laughs) have I do not know how Adam Wainwright is still a professional baseball player. Yes. Yes. He's just housing a different the hot dog. It's a whole yeah. The nachos, the helmet. Yeah. Um, that was you're right. That was a lot of fun. I I could do without Przinsky. We could get a, a a different catcher in there. But your point well taken. I agree, but he was like kind of self-deprecating. Again, I please do not accuse me of being an AJ Przinsky fan. Like that's you know, don't insult my my uh, my character like that. But he was almost self-deprecating enough that and and provided enough like kind of red ass insight that I was like, oh, it's good to know what like, some I don't, people I don't think. Mind you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. 
Um, okay, my first up this week is short rest. I love short rest. I love pitchers coming out and throwing on short rest. Except for when it's Shane McClanahan in the race. Except for when it's Shane McClanahan <laughs> in the race. I No, when it's your ace and you need him. And you're like, you really don't want to, you know, you're doing the whole like theatrics of it where the manager has to come out the day before or two days before and be like, it's off the table. We're not doing that. We're not doing that with Walker Bueller. We're not. We're not doing that with Max Scherzer. Julio Arias will not be throwing in short rest. And you just make a whole a whole storyline, a whole narrative out of it. And then the pitcher comes out on short rest. And it feels like you're seeing him on a day that you're not supposed to see him. And it feels like you're looking behind the curtain at his off-day routine. But he just happens to be on the mound. I live for that stuff in October. I am such a sucker for narratives like that. Especially when they're surrounding starting pitchers. And when guys do well on short rest, I am floored because these are guys who put their bodies through so much every fifth day. They are such true creatures of habit. Yes. Insane creatures of habit. Like if you talk to pitchers, the third day is their throw day. And then the fifth day is the day that they are ramping up towards and the way that these guys know their bodies and to then throw on short rest and to be good on it. I am. I love that. And that that's it. There's no there's no other big sweeping takeaway from it. I just love that October gives us that opportunity to see something that is a little bit like it's just a different tone. It's a different um it, it's like a song that's in a different rhythm. It's right. It's like when Love on Top uh, you know, does the key changes at the end of the song. You're yes. like, Oh, whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa, we got another layer. You can do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, next up for you. Uh next up for me features a a brief story involving one John Cusack. <laughs> Far be it from me to actually reference Barstool Sports <laughs> on this podcast. Wow. So you but, so you like A.J. Brzezinski and you've been following Barstool content. Noted. Right. And I'm a Cardinals fan. <laughs> this is real 180 right here. <laughs> People tuning out as we speak. Yes. The retention numbers uh, are dying right now. No, there was a there's a barstool uh, writer, you know, tweeter, whatever, just personality who was at the White Sox game. Was a White Sox fan, rooting for the White Sox. Saw John Cusack there wearing White Sox gear. Now, John Cusack, who is who is from the Chicago area, has been known to go to both uh, Cubs games and White Sox games. He was very notably at the World Series that the Cubs won back in 2016, but. Uh, but he was here this postseason because the White Sox were the Chicago team that was in it. And mm-hmm. it's the city uh, where he's from. So he was at the game. And said Stooley approached him with the, inte- the apparent intent of trying to accost him for going to Cubs and White Sox games or, or, or rooting for both teams or something like that. It was kind of unclear to me what the what the end goal was, and it it became completely lost when John Cusack turned around and bodied the guy. Uh, I don't mean physically bodied him, although that arguably would have been cooler. That would have been really something. But John Cusack effectively turns around and says, "I've been watching this team, you know, for decades. Here, uh, do you know who who the first baseman was on the '83 team? You know, do you know who the the this player was?" And like. While that's not always the best way to like <laughs> display fandom, especially to someone who's like half your age, he effectively gave the 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 best possible 
retort to all of this, right? Which is like, fuck you, I'm John Cusack. I can do what I want. Yep. And that's true. He is and he can. And more broadly speaking, I just like, I don't want to get into like a fandom like gatekeeping conversation right now because we'll go for like a half hour about it. But like, it's so fucking stupid. Just let people enjoy baseball. Just let people go to games and like what they're watching. It is like weirdly freeing when you see someone else who is not governed by all of these, you know, ancient rules of fandom that we've passed down through generations. When John Cusack is just like, what are you talking about? Weird human that I've never met. (laughs) Like, why are you approaching me? I don't know you like that. And also I can name the first baseman on the team in the 80s. So I can pass your test. And also I don't agree that your test is valid. Right. Yes, exactly. He's like, no, I'm I'm not playing by your rules. To which the 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 stoolie had like a certified meltdown. He was like literally threw his hands up in the air and was like, voice got like two octaves higher and was like, no, but you can't do that. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. It really My did day feel, has been made. It felt like a person who was like, I don't believe that the SAT should count for anything, but also scores a perfect SAT score. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um. Anyway, John Cusack's an absolute legend. So you can't do that. Um, thanks, John Cusack. Uh, my next up this week is has to do with the Boston Red Sox. Alex, after the Red Sox beat the Rays, um, there was a video of them celebrating in their locker room. They were gathered around, spraying champagne, jumping up and down, having a merry old time. They were also singing a song, and I will let the listeners hear that song right now. I don't believe much on players going out. I believe on who's coming in. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and you can tell, I mean, the different. Mookie Bay, David Price are key player who definitely organize. I'm not a Red Sox fan. I don't subscribe to their underdog narrative. I think it's bullshit. Like I said, at the beginning of the show, they've won four World Series. They're not an underdog. They traded away Mookie Betts. There's a whole host of reasons you can convince yourself not to root for the Red Sox. But man, they're Robin fans. <laughs> That's pretty tight. Yeah. Never in my life did I think that I would see a group of grown men in an MLB locker room singing, dancing on my own. I was so confused at first because I was like, it sounds like they're like chanting something. Is this like a like some sort of team bonding experience, you know, where they're like exercising the devils or something like that? you know, right after exercising the, the rays. Um, but no, it was just chanting along to dancing on my own. Which player do you think brought that song into the locker room? Cause you know, it was one guy that was like, okay, listen, I know that we usually, you know, we play our own things. We play our country, we play our hip hop, we play our rock, whatever. Everybody gather around. I'm going to show you a song that's going to blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> Which player? I think it was Tanner Houck. Yeah. That's just my shot in the dark. I'm going to go with Nate Eovaldi. Ooh, good one. Yeah. He just seems like kind of like a a baseball player who actually has managed to retain some semblance of like his <laughs> humanity <laughs> throughout it all, you know? He seems great. I would love yeah. to have him on this show. He seems like the nicest guy. I've heard that he is incredibly nice and also... Mm-hmm. The perspective that you have to have to just maintain a positive outlook after two Tommy Johns being the guy that mm-hmm. he is and everything that he's been through in his career on the field, he just seems like the best hang. So actually, I think 
I think that's good. You know that he told Alex Cora that he he could throw an inning in Game Four if he needed to. Jesus, he started he Game Three. <laughs> <laughs> yes, chaotic energy. What a legend! What a, this man just does not care. He's like my. I'll go to my fourth elbow. I don't give a fuck. Right. He's like this thing shredded anyway. Um. Okay. You're next up. Your final up. Okay. My final up. Because it may be the, the the last time we discuss Tony Larusa this season, unless you've got unless you've got him in your down, in which case, no, fucking never mind. I have him in my up, in my final oh, up, as my final up. up. I'm I'm very oh. curious to see if this is the same thing. It is his modest proposal. Yep. Mm-hmm. To uh, prevent sign stealing. <laughs> so good. It's so <laughs> perfect. <laughs> this uh, this comes from. Jesse Rogers over at ESPN, who uh, covers the Chicago baseball teams among among other baseball teams, and uh, and he sent this tweet out a couple days ago, and it read regarding sign stealing. Tony Larusa's idea to the league was to require the runner on second base to turn towards center field when the sign is given to the catcher, then turn back, and then two line breaks. The idea was ignored. <laughs> Now I almost love the the prose of this tweet. Yeah. The as as much as I do the actual idea, which is just one of the worst ideas some, I've ever heard. Some brain genius, like, well, what if we just have them like put their heads down, you know, and then someone will come around and like tap them on the head when they can come up, you know, like some heads up seven up action or whatever. Yeah. Um but no, it was literally just like just just have them close their eyes. The way that they know when to turn back is that over the PA system, they play hokey pokey. And when they say you right. do the hokey pokey and you turn, that's when you turn back. That's how they know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then the right. sign is done. If you're not done giving the sign by then, then you can steal it. I just, I can't imagine he actually proposed this in entire seriousness, right? Because you give two seconds of thought to it and you're like, of course this wouldn't work. My My thinking is like, they were just kind of soliciting ideas or having a general like round table about sign stealing. And he was like, what if we have them close their eyes? Yeah. I think that after you pass a certain age, you just lose the ability to deliver. Most people just lose the ability to deliver things with a sarcastic tone. (laughs) (laughs) The people who keep it are like, you know, marvels. We're like, how they still have their fastball. They're 90. So funny. But most people lose it, and I think that he lost it. I think that so we think this is this is sarcasm that was lost in translation. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> this is a man who is running a baseball team. <laughs> I know. He cannot earnestly think that the right idea is to have his runner turn around and face center field for four seconds while the sign is being given. Can you imagine trying right to get back to the bag? You want a pickoff move? You just have to read yeah, right? the so eyes you're, you're of the not second a, You're baseman. not allowed to to do pickoffs while the runner is turned around. But there's going to be a brief second there where the runner is turning around and the catcher and the pitcher has just finished receiving the signs. And that's that sweet spot, yeah. right? Where no one really knows where anyone is. Exactly. Um, okay, let's move on to down because that was my third up as well. I will go first. Okay. Back to the Houston Astros, back to the Chicago White Sox. Um, White Sox reliever Ryan Tapera was had some interesting things to share with the media after this series shifted back to Chicago. The first two games were in Houston. Um, the next two games were in Chicago. After game three, Ryan Tapera felt like the Astros were not teeing up as many baseballs on the road 
as they were at home. He was thus alluding to the fact that the Astros sign stealing scandal, they were only able to pull off that system while they were at home because they were using their own cameras, their own replay review, and their own trash cans <laughs> in the tunnel. Look, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I don't I even kind of regret putting it on my down at all because every time you talk about this, it just becomes the same conversation and I feel like I'm just yelling into the void every time. Yeah. Number one, the Astros shredded White Sox pitching on the road as well. Like they scored six runs in the game that they lost and they scored seven runs in the elimination game. You weren't exactly mowing them down, Mr. Tapera. Number two, how long are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. Is my question. Like, how long is it an excuse for you as an, an opponent, as an opponent of the Astros when you get beat to just to say maybe they're cheating again? Couldn't you do that with every team? If a guy looks locked in on your fastball from the first pitch of the game, couldn't you be like, well, they just copied the Astros? Mm-hmm. And we quickly start to lose the thread here. We quickly start to lose reality, you know? Yeah. Yes, I am all for finding out that teams cheated and preventing them from doing it again. But just pointing at circumstantial at best evidence and being like, that's cheating. At some point, it's like, why are we even playing at all then? If you just think every time you lose, someone cheated against you, then like, just don't play. Yeah, it was it was a very bizarre thing for him to bring up, especially in a game where their pitching had just dominated. The White Sox pitching had just dominated, right? Their their bullpen had like <laughs> the White Sox just had a good game, and you're worried about the the other team's splits. I it was unclear to me. I <laughs> spending I too say, much time on baseball <laughs> reference. Actually, relatable. I will say, like I'm. Yes, I initially had this on my down too because I'm just like Astros discourse. I'm done with Astros discourse, right? Like I don't, I get that they cheated. I I don't really care anymore. I do think this is the bed they've made, right? This is the Astros like, and if you will recall, Rob Manfred's rationale for not punishing the players (laughs) was like, well, everyone else will punish them. Yep. Putting and, a bounty on them, yep, <laughs> I recall. <laughs> to an extent, I mean, that that hasn't happened, right? Like, no, th- I'm sure the Astros will feel very punished when they uh, go to the World Play Series. Play in the start. ALCS next week, <laughs> yeah. So I do think they brought it on themselves. I also have to commend them for not taking the bait because that's a team that in the past has responded very negatively to this type of criticism, right? We've seen players come out and be like, they just, you know, they just want to be us. They, you know, we got a chip on our shoulder. We're the, we're the underdogs now. Like no one, we, we can't see the haters because the World Series trophy is in the way, you know, like <laughs> uh, this. <laughs> I love this. This is a whole segment yeah, out of no, itself. Yeah, Alex's trash yeah. talk. I think it's Dusty Baker. I just think that Dusty Baker's like, whatever this is a weird yeah. comment like i think his response is, was like which is effectively what his verbatim <laughs> he was like was. interesting thought next yeah. question <laughs> yeah i think martin maldonado was like uh that's that's motivation for us and then they went and won yeah so seemed to have worked okay what's your first down no more astros discourse except when they go on to play in the lcs and we have to talk about them my first down which is simultaneously and up just because of the chaos that it sows but 
still somewhat frustrates me every postseason is that the the baseball playoffs every time October rolls around, it's 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 just a pop quiz on whether or not you know the rule book. <laughs> that is exactly what it is. Every single postseason, there's one or two plays that just you may not have seen before. Maybe you haven't seen it this season. Maybe you've never seen it before in your life. I've I don't know. Never seen what happened with Hunter Renfro in my life, and that's what I mean. That's you have forty thousand fans sitting there being like, "How do we interpret this?" You have players who I imagine aren't oh. entirely sure what <laughs> what the rule is. I can't you imagine have umpires. No, I can't imagine the Red Sox fans or the Rays fans who were at um, Fenway. Yeah, trying to make sense of what that call actually ended up being like they needed mm-hmm. full paragraphs on the screen explaining the rule on the TV broadcast. So imagine being yeah. at the stadium. How do you like did they send a push notification to everybody from the ticket app right. being like, here's <laughs> what happened? Like, I don't know. They w- it would be nice if uh, and as an aside, if the umpire, if Major League Baseball took a cue from the NFL and gave umpires like microphones, you know. So after yeah, the, after the out. call is over, like you you have to explain what the ruling was, and that would be Please. especially entertaining. I think you do in not these under any circumstances have to hand a microphone to Joe West. <laughs> That's not true at all. He could he could bring some fire rock into the stadium. Um, I think it's hilarious every time this comes up. I've I also will say I really. I appreciate ha- the minutia of MLB's rulebook They've that thought they have thought out just about everything. everything. It's really incredible. Yep. Everything that's reviewable is right there, and it says exactly what it is and why it's reviewable. And if it's not in there, sorry, you're SOL. <laughs> <laughs> and I, th- like, there's nothing worse than, than like, you know, a rulebook that is like kind of upper to interpretation that the language yeah. is very vague the constitution. on constitution. Yes. Yes. <laughs> MLB's rule book is the exact opposite of the constitution. Nothing exactly. is up for debate. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, I found a way to undermine the U S constitution this late in the podcast. <laughs> I'd love to see it. Uh, just fill out your bingo cards, folks. Um, all right. What is a, uh, that ended up kind of being an up for me. Yeah. Um, Cause I had just, you know, it's, it's okay. It's fun. Yeah. It would be a down for you if it negatively affected your team. Um, Ain't that the truth? My next down is a very quick one. It is. Um, it's unfortunate, and you know we didn't spend a ton of time talking about the Brewers, but it's unfortunate that Christian Yelich had a really tough season and has had a really tough couple seasons dating back to the shortened season last year. Because I really think that what this Brewers team was missing was a huge bat in the middle of their lineup. I know obviously Willie Adamas played incredible when he came over from the Rays, both offensively and defensively. Um, but like incredible for Willie Adamas was like just under a 900 OPS and Christian Yelich for two straight seasons put up like over a thousand OPS just consistently, not for a half season like Adamas. Like he was that hitter every at bat and he is just not right now. I don't know what's going on with him. I'm not the person to try to figure out what's going on with him, but it did feel like it robbed us a little bit of a closer, more intense series between the Braves and the Brewers just because the Brewers offense just wasn't there. There was just nothing for them and they gave up a back-breaking home run to Freddie Freeman but it's 
even more backbreaking because you know that it's going to be an incredibly uphill battle to even score a couple runs against the Braves, whose pitching is not even that scary, to be honest. I mean, they have a couple good frontline starters, but bullpen huge question marks, and the Brewers just look like they could not hit anything um, in that series. So that's my down. I miss God-level Yelich. He was a very fun player to watch. Yeah, he's the kind of player who changes the game when he's on the field and actually playing at the level he can play. One of those dynamic players who by himself can change outcomes with his power, with his speed, with his glove. Um, I mean, it was it was only a couple years ago that he was putting up MVP caliber seasons, right? It was three years ago that he actually won an MVP award. Like, he's still got it, I have to assume. Yeah, I just, still don't, in there. I just don't know where and, and why it's, we're not seeing more of it. I don't know. I mean, this is obviously a very granular down but I I just found myself thinking a lot about that as he stepped up to the plate I was like man this guy used to strike fear yeah when when I would face him or when my team would face him and he's just not at that level right now and I hope that he can get back to that whatever adjustment that takes um no especially especially on the national stage in the postseason it sucks to see like a star yeah just absolutely crumble it's like what we're talking about with Bellinger you know like you hope that it doesn't go down that same path for him Mm -hmm. Um, okay what's your next down all right my next down real quick Bobby do you know what today is it's the anniversary of something I do not 20 years ago today the flip heard around the world oh yes I actually did see this on Instagram this morning Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I I thought that it was yesterday but okay whatever Derek Jeter I know where you're going with this the flip to Jorge Posada, Jason Giambi called out. Very specific wording there. All I'm saying, <laughs> that game is played today. If that play happens today, you want to know what the what the call is? Yeah, it's not not out. No, he was safe. Yeah. <laughs> Although, and I, yeah, really depending on the angle, though, it's so hard to tell. You need it the is angle really it is really hard to tell from the yes. first baseline dugout. Mm-hmm. Where you see his right foot touch just before you see uh, Posada's glove bend backwards as he hits Giambi's left leg. Because that is the only yeah. angle that you can see that his right foot got in there because he didn't slide. Mm-hmm. All this to say, how- slide on close plays at home, kids. Yeah, seriously. How long do you think it would have taken for this review to happen had they instituted a, a replay review on it? Eight minutes. Eight minutes? So long. That's about that sounds about right to me. Yeah. 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 It would have gotten to the point, which is the point you never want to get to, when the broadcasters are sitting there saying, I really don't understand how it can take this long. You know? <laughs> like that's always a fun point in baseball games for me when even the broadcasters are a little confused as to the mechanics of what's going on behind the scenes. I like when they have an ump on the broadcasting staff where where they call they bring them in to like explain something mm-hmm. and they're like you know, this happens more in football and basketball than it does in baseball. But when they bring in the official and they're like, take us through what you have to, what, what boxes you got to check in there. Basically just being yeah. like, why the fuck does it take you guys so long? Every yeah, time you so go to review. what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Giambi was safe. I agree. That's right. You, you yeah. convinced me of that <laughs> over the years. I don't think I would be allowed to remain friends with you if I thought he was out. Uh, yeah, so. All right. What's your, what's your final down? My final down this week is not related to baseball, which is why I saved it for the very end. It is related to collective bargaining agreements and the reporting that is done on them. Alex, you might have seen 
a controversy over an, a leaked email from Adam Schefter, the NFL newsbreaker, the NFL equi- equivalent of a Passin or a Rosenthal, um, currently employed by ESPN, though we will see if that remains to be the case. Um, sending an email to Bruce Allen, who is a le- who is an NFL official, former GM, was um, a-, a party to the CBA negotiations on the league side. Adam Schefter sent an email to Bruce Allen uh, with an attachment of an entire story that Adam Schefter had written covering the CBA negotiations. And he asked Bruce Allen, quote, please let me know if you see anything that should be changed, should be added, changed, tweaked. Thanks, Mr. Editor, for that and the trust. Plan to file this to ESPN about 6 a.m. Man, that is an email you don't want to leak as a journalist. But even more so, (laughs) you shouldn't be sending it at all. You know what you're not supposed to do? Let your sources edit your stories. That's what we call not objective. And I think that, you know, we spend a lot of time doing meta criticism of media on this podcast, probably more time than any other people who ostensibly have a baseball podcast, quote unquote. But it's because of stuff like this. It is because if you think that this is only happening with Adam Schefter and the NFL, man, you're a sucker. Because it really seems every time there's CBA flare-ups that we're hearing verbatim sources that have knowledge of the league's side. And the reason that we spend so much time criticizing how the media covers and both sides is these labor fights between the MLB Players Association and the MLB side who often act in bad faith. The reason that we spend so much time is because of stuff like this, because stuff like this is pervasive and because the story that gets told is often one that is just leaked directly from the league side. And in this case, like 10 steps past that, just edited by the league side. It's just a, the article that is supposed to be objective is a PR statement. Unbelievable stuff. Mr. Editor. <laughs> Can you start calling me that? <laughs> Yeah, I do edit this podcast. Yeah, you do. By the way, I was I was going to ask if you wanted me to we we transfer this straight to Rob, or are you going to edit it and then send to him? Just make sure that Rob is okay with. Fuck, we're still recording. Shit, just make sure he's okay with everything that you said. Okay, all right. I'll send him the CC Eric Neander as well. I mean, I know we went a little hard at the race. Yeah, yeah, true. Good call. Good call. Tough. All right. All right. Your final down. My final down is uh, is a is a serious one, and that's that um, longtime Oakland A's broadcaster Ray Fossey passed away right as we uh, right as we started recording this podcast, and it uh, it took me by surprise a little bit more than it probably should have, given that I you know I we we learned back in August that he's been battling cancer silently for. The, the better part of the last two decades. Um, but it really caught me off guard and I, my heart is a little heavy because he, no person kit could call an A's game like he could. And this is a man who's been calling A's games for 35 years, 35 years that he's been on TV talking about the green and gold. That's the kind of, of presence that is is missed in broadcast booths and he was so unique in his delivery and like weird and unabashedly himself and i think it really runs against the 
the grain of what a lot of broadcasters are today, which is oftentimes seeming like they don't necessarily want to be there. Ray always felt like he was enjoying the game, was never upset about youth movements, about the way that the game was evolving. He was a a passive observer. And not to mention a fucking truck of a human. The amount of injuries that this man sustained over the course of his career is kind of unbelievable that <laughs> he was still walking, right? As a as a catcher who was just taking hits left and right, who one time dislocated his shoulder because he was breaking up a fight in the A's locker room that Reggie Jackson was on one side of. You know who is a person in a fight I don't want to be between? Reggie Jackson. Anyway, he was he was not doing A's games for the uh, the last couple months of the season, but it still feels like there's going to be a hole in that booth when the A's come back next year because that's the sort of personality you can't you can't replicate. You can't fake that. Yeah. I think I mean obviously you have a much bigger relationship to Ray Fossey than I do, but speaking generally about the 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 announcers who add to our experience of watching games, it's like, you know, there's been so much discussion about the idea of parasocial relationships and you know developing developing a one-sided relationship with people through podcasts through media through video through tv whatever it might be and that's basically what we have with announcers and the best version of that is when you feel like they actually care about the people who are developing those parasocial relationships with them they care about doing right by them of adding to their experience by letting you get to know the players better because they get to interact with the players. And that experience of being a fan and having someone who can be your conduit in your ear 162 games a year or however many games you end up watching can be such a rewarding one. And so we we have to cherish the people who give us those positive memories. I mean, I think that's why so many people had such a big relationship to Vince Scully who did it for so long and still have such a big relationship to him. And he's such a legend and, that's the case for all broadcasters who who do their job as well as Ray Fossey did. So RIP. The the coda to this down, um, the 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 subheader to this down is just the um the the statement, the rare statement that A's owner John Fisher just put out about Ray Fossey, talking about the impact he had on his franchise and the A's family and the A's, you know, how he was part of the A's legacy. To which I say, you don't deserve to have his name in your mouth. If you gave an ounce of care about the community that he was a part of, you would not be trying to run this team out of Oakland. Sorry. Well said. Um, all right, Alex, that does it for this week's episode of Tipping Pitches. We will be back, like I said, next Wednesday. We're working on a little bit of a midweek schedule. We might move back to our normal Monday after that. But until then, TBD. Thanks to everybody for listening. If you want to call in 785-422-5881, you want to write in tippingpitchespod at gmail.com or tipping underscore pitches on Twitter, go ahead and throw us a throw us a review on iTunes. It's been a little while since we got one of those. Usually I make Alex cry out for that. But um, I'll do it this week. Anything else you want to leave the people with before we go? No, just uh, just look out for tipping pitches rally towels in stores soon. <laughs> Gotta get on that branding Thanks, opportunity. <laughs> Thanks everyone. Bye.
Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya.